Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. This is a Vault Studios production. I'm Spencer Brudig. I'm Will Johnson. This show contains graphic material and is meant for mature audiences. This week on True Crime Chronicles. These were very independent girls, but they were also, by all accounts, terrified of him. Absolutely terrified. They were these beautiful, loving girls. I mean, Amina would write beautiful letters and drawings and uh, drawings of hearts and stuff. She was just a... uh, They were both beautiful souls and... I hope that they get justice. It is amazing to me that he would be so bold as to return to this area and think that you're not going to get caught. And it seems like he thought maybe he, you know, he'd been gone for so long that maybe he thought, well, you know, I can stay on the run, but it's pretty crazy to come back. On Christmas Day 2007, Patricia Saeed decided it was time to leave. The situation at home was unbearable, and she and her two teenage daughters were scared. The girls, uh, Amina and Sarah, they were sisters, had been afraid of their dad for many years. They'd actually accused him of physically and sexually abusing them, and there had been police reports, but nothing came out of that. Rebecca Lopez is senior criminal justice reporter at WFAA in Dallas, where she's been covering crime for decades now. She would eventually learn about what drove the mother and her daughters to flee. She would learn more about the father and husband, Yasser Abdul Saeed. The father was extremely controlling. And the mother, Patricia, finally decided after years of abuse uh, to, to leave uh, this to leave him. So they fled to Oklahoma, the girls and the mother. Uh, they fled there. Tanya Iser is also a reporter at WFAA in Dallas. But back in 2007, she was covering crime at the Dallas Morning News. She would also learn about the Saeed family in coming days and weeks, their troubled past, and what led up to their decision to finally leave town. Back in the late 90s, uh, Amina was nine at the time and Sarah was eight. And they had reported to the authorities that he sexually abused them and claimed that he had touched them inappropriately. He gets charged with aggravated sexual assault. And then a few months later... Um, the charges get dropped. They say they, you know, made it up because they didn't want to attend this particular school district and because they had wanted to live with their grandmother. But there was very much a sense that this man was prone to violence. And, and by all accounts from the family members that I spoke with from Patricia's side of the family to uh, Amina and Sarah's f- friends, Um, you got that sense, and and they were very clear that these girls were terrified of him. The friends told us that these girls suffered. Um, They didn't want to tell friends where they lived because they were afraid afraid that that he was a potential danger to their friends. Um, They told us he installed spy software on the home computer and was plotting to tap their phone lines. Um, and then another time he walked, according to the friends, walked into the bedroom with a gun and was waving it around. 
Yasser Saeed also didn't like that his daughters, Amina, 18, and Sarah, 17, had boyfriends. Boyfriends that he didn't approve of. Yasser was very angry that his daughters were dating American boys. He was very upset that they had become so westernized. By all accounts, he was prone to fits of violence, waving around guns, and, you know, ranting about Western culture, you know, corrupting Amina and Sarah. And so the belief that the that he was jealous that Amina and Sarah had started dating um, American uh, boyfriends that were not um, Muslim, even though there was a lot of people that say he really wasn't strong uh, in his faith, uh, he did not like that they were dating outside their culture. You know, the, the, the understanding I had was that he wanted to marry them off to, um, you know, he wanted to do kind of the arranged marriage approach where he would pick who they would marry. But Amina and Sarah, they had picked who they wanted to marry, or they had picked their boyfriends. They, they were not hip to his um, picking out their, who they would marry one day. But their father's anger seemed to go beyond who his daughters were dating. It went deeper. Both of these girls, like I said, they were honor students, they were athletes, and they were really pretty. And they both had dreams. Amina had gotten a $20,000 scholarship for college. Sarah wanted a career in the medical profession. And I think it was pretty clear that he was losing them. He was losing control over them. And that, but that also fits in with the whole concept of domestic violence. You know, the most dangerous time in a domestic violence situation is when an abuser is losing control. And Yasser was losing control. So back to that Christmas day in 2007, at a time when families gathered together and celebrate the holiday season, Patricia and her daughters Amina and Sarah were packing up and leaving town. They initially go to a relative's house in Kansas. And I don't recall how long they stay there. I don't think it's very long. And then they go to Tulsa and they rent an apartment under an assumed name. Yasser Saeed, back in Texas, filed a missing persons report. But when police caught up with Patricia in Oklahoma, here's what she told them. Patricia stated she was not going to call back again as she was in great fear for her life. Patricia says she is very fearful of her husband harming her and or children, which is the reason she left her husband. Patricia further advised she and her children, Sarah and Amina, are just fine and are going to continue hiding from her husband. Despite what she told police, despite their fear, the mother and her daughters didn't stay in Oklahoma. Somehow, Saeed convinced Patricia to come back. Amina begged her mother not to go back. She did not want to come back. She was always telling people that she feared her father might kill her. For whatever reason, for whatever inexplicable reason that I will never understand in my, for the rest of like my days, Yasser convinces, Yasser convinces Patricia to bring the girls back. Um, um, presumably he promises that he won't hurt them and, and she comes back. So they come back New Year's Eve. On New Year's Eve, December 31st of 2007, um, they hook back up with Saeed, the mom and the girls. And he says, I'm going to take you to dinner. Uh, and he's driving a taxi cab because that's one of the things that he did for a living. Well, the mom um, initially was going to go, Patricia, but he said, no, I just want to go with the do- with my daughters so they took off to, allegedly, uh, they were going to a restaurant in Irving. They had left with their dad. They thought he was taking them to dinner. Well, by 
as far as I know, they never made it to any dinner. What happened, according to police and 911 calls, is he allegedly shot the girls uh, in his taxi cab, and the taxi cab was found uh, near the Mandalay Omni Hotel in Irving, which is obviously a very fancy area. And the girls, one of them, um, Sarah, the youngest, actually was able to call 911. Amina died almost immediately. Sarah called 911. And in that 911 call, she says, my dad has shot me. What's going on, man? I'm dying, Sarah calls Irving 911 and says, I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm dying. If you listen to the 911 call, it's just, um, it's horrifying. And she, she names her killer. To think that these two girls are, are shot and killed in this cab, this, this cab that their dad drives and they're found <sighs> at this hotel is on New Year's Day is just, it's a, it's awful. And so police go searching. They're looking. They search for an hour. They cannot find the taxi cab because back then it was very, um, technology just wasn't what it, what it is today. So they could not pinpoint, pinpoint where the, um, where the call was coming from. So they searched, they drove up and down and eventually another taxi cab driver called a second 911 call because he had found these two bodies slumped in the taxi cab and they were they were dead. I, you know, I, I'm not going to say this had anything to do with religion because y- Yasser, from everything I can gather, was not particularly religious. It was horrific and disgusting and needless. Yasser Saeed vanished after the killings. Despite search efforts, there was no trace or sign of him. And in the meantime, both Tanya Iser and Rebecca Lopez would get to know about the family and talk to their friends and cover Amina's and Sarah's funeral. Yeah, I've been to a lot of funerals, and but this was gut-wrenching. I, I, actually, I went back and looked at my own story, um, and I had forgotten this, but they were in... Um, the girls were both... They had been dressed in pink. Um, they had a pink rose in their hair, and they were in pink caskets. It was really, um, and, the, and it was open casket, so, you know, we could see the girls. And um, in, my, in my story, I, I said, uh, one might have thought the sisters were sleeping were it not for the matching pink-lined caskets that held them. And as the months went by and the horrible discovery of the two girls faded into memory, the alleged killer, Yasser Saeed, stayed in hiding. And then he fled and, and disappears, and no one knew where he was. There was a lot of speculation. Some people thought he might have gone back to Egypt. Yeah, they thought at one point that he was in New York still driving a taxi cab. He had relatives in that area. Some people thought he might have just, you know, gone to New York and blended in. He liked to hang out at Denny's restaurants, and they always believed that he was probably still driving a taxi cab. It's quite possible that he's in different places for different periods of time. Despite countless tips and possible sightings, Saeed remained out of sight. And seven years after the murders of his teenage daughters, the FBI put Yasser Saeed on their 10 most wanted list. Which is the same list that Osama bin Laden and others have been on. And um, and they were hoping that that would generate a tip of where he was. And it generated, I mean, tons and tons and tons of tips. It, it does take a lot to get on that list. But if they believe that... Uh, that you are continue to pose a danger to people, 
um, and they and that you are you have a risk of of going to another country. Uh, that I think that's one of the reasons that they also put him on this list. I mean, the crime itself was heinous, but that he eluded local police for so long, and they also believe that he had ties to another country is why he landed on that list. Still, nothing led to Saeed. But they didn't let up. And in August 2017, nine years after the murder, investigators had a potential break in the case, a sighting at an apartment unit in Bedford, Texas, an apartment that had been leased to Yasser's son, Islam. By chance, this maintenance worker went into this apartment and uh, knocked on the door and saw him. This maintenance worker reports the incident to his apartment manager, so they contact the FBI, and they dispatch agents uh, to interview the maintenance worker and show him the photos of Yasser's brother and also Yasser himself, and the maintenance worker tells the agent, that's the guy I saw in the apartment. So they do a, a... a search warrant. Um, they don't find anyone inside. They find the, the the sliding glass patio door open. They notice a bush with broken branches, and of course, which suggests that someone has jumped off the patio and fled. And they pair. They find a pair of eyeglasses, which they collect as evidence. They find uh, several cigarette butts and a toothbrush inside a l- l- inside a luggage box in a closet. Those items were then tested for DNA evidence, and they are in fact a match to Yasser Saeed. As far as I know, that's the first confirmed uh, sighting in 2017 of Yasser Saeed. You know, at that point, he's been on the run for nine years. And as far as I'm I'm aware, that's the first real confirmed sighting of him. So he is definitely a close call there. But Saeed is on the run again, out of their reach. And along the way, there are more sightings, more tips coming in one that places Yasser's son thousands of miles away at the Canadian border. A year ago, I talked to the FBI and Irving police, um, and they were really adamant that they wanted me to do a story because they felt that he was in the area. Initially, they thought that maybe he fled to Egypt, but his son and his brother and others lived here. And they always believed that the reason that he was able to hide for so long was that he had help from his family. And along the way, as new details about the girls and their father continued to emerge, Rebecca Lopez learned about disturbing home videos. He videotaped all of their moves. One of them had a job, I believe it was Sarah, and he would go and sit outside her job and he would be jealous because she's talking to other people and you can hear it in the videotape, like, why is he talking to that person? And Amina is in the car with him and you can hear her say, well, dad, you know, Papa, she's she's working. But he also had these really creepy videos where he would like zoom in on their body parts and say really inappropriate things that a father does not say about his daughter's body. And I, I have some of those videos that I aired in one of my stories well, last year when they felt strongly that he was in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and they, they wanted to capture him. So we did the story and we aired some of those videos, but the videos are very creepy. But despite the tips coming in and the massive search, nothing pans out until... In August of 2020, they, they start surveilling this house in Justin, Texas, which had been... Uh, purchased in the name of the daughter of one of uh, Yasser's brothers, and they start watching it, and they see Islam and Yasin uh, taking groceries and stuff inside and carrying trash bags back to their car. 
And then they observe, the agents observe a shadow of a person walk across the interior of the residence in front of the window twice. And then a few days later, they see uh, Islam and Yasin exit with bags of trash. Agents follow Saeed's brother and son to a shopping center in South Lake, Texas, almost 20 miles away from the home, where they dump the trash and garbage cans on the side of the shopping center. So agents begin to dig in the trash cans on the side of the shopping center. Inside the cans, they find two bags matching the bags they'd seen um, them carrying to the car. They seize the bags and they take them back to FBI headquarters and they find cigarette butts, butts and other garbage. And so then they uh, execute a search warrant at the home and lo and behold, they arrest Yasser Saeed. Just a couple hours ago, the FBI SWAT team arrested Yasser Abdul Saeed in Justin, Texas without incident. On the scene, he, he didn't, didn't speak on the scene, didn't really have anything to say and he was, he was uh, compliant and quiet. This case was solved by good old-fashioned, aggressive, in initiative-based police work. After 13 years of searching the globe, the FBI captured Yasser Saeed just 30 miles from where he allegedly killed his 17- and 18-year-old daughters, Sarah and Amina. The FBI chased thousands of tips, and an agent even postponed retirement. They arrested Saeed's son Islam and his brother Yassim in Eulis for harboring him. Officials say they're still investigating who else helped him stay on the run. His brother and his son were both arrested as well because that was always a belief. Like, how can this guy keep hiding? He didn't have a job. He didn't have money. How is he? What's he doing? Why can't? Why has he just gone off the radar? And they believe it's because he was being helped by family members to uh, to hide really almost in plain sight. I mean, eventually he was caught just right here in North Texas. I was not surprised to see relatives of his be accused of helping him. The fact that his son and brother are accused of, of harboring him shocked me not one bit. What surprises WFAA's Tanya Iser is the fact that Yasser Saeed was caught in Texas so close to where he allegedly killed his teenage daughters 13 years earlier. To think that you could come back here and that you could um, stay in this area for some length of time, and not only that, with your members of the family who you have to figure the, the authorities are, you know, keeping an eye on, right? I mean, it just, it's, it's, it's really crazy to me. I mean, why you wouldn't, you, you, could, you could blend in a lot easier in a place like New York than a place like here. I don't, so I don't know why you would, why you would do it, except for you have been on the run for so long. Maybe you think uh, you can keep getting away with it. I, I don't know. I, I don't pretend to understand. It's hard for me to understand the mindset of somebody who would do what he's accused of doing to his daughters to begin with. So I don't know. Whatever his mindset, whatever his plans were, Saeed's run from justice is over after more than a decade on the run. This is a good day for law enforcement. This is one of the days that make this difficult job really pay off. This man brutally murdered, shot to death, his two daughters in his taxi cab. Uh, what led him to do that, I think at this point to us is irrelevant. The fact that he murdered his two daughters, the fact that he's been on the run for 12 years, and the fact that tonight, his flight from justice ended and justice for Amina and Sarah begins.
that's what's most important to us. I was standing in the middle of a store and I yelled. I couldn't believe it. Um, I knew the day would come, but the lady at the store's like, oh my gosh, are you okay? And I, I think I actually let out a, a, a short scream. I'm like, oh my God, they caught Yasser Saeed. And I didn't, I didn't think that there was a time when I just didn't believe that they would catch him. But, and having talked to the, you know, the people that were close to uh, the girls, uh, I just, I felt a sense of peace for them that maybe that justice would be served. God, this has been a long time coming. You know, that was my just first thought. And then I, and I, then I thought back to the funeral and seeing those girls in that casket. And, you know, my heart has always been broken. I, I wasn't a parent at the time. You know, when the girls died, I, I didn't have a child yet. But now I'm a parent and I can't fathom and I will never fathom anybody who hurts their child. I just don't get it. And I never will get it. Along the way, over all those years, one person in particular waited for the news of an arrest, the mother of Amina's boyfriend, Ruth Trotter. She'd opened her house and her arms to the teenage Amina all those years ago. Him being at large one year, two years, years a decade, it was difficult. She has been the one that has really led the case and been the voice for Amina. Amina loved her dearly. Um, she trusted her. She went to her for um, all kinds of problems that she was having with her father. And they were actually trying to raise the money to help her leave and flee and get away from him. And they were on the verge of trying to do that uh, to help Amina escape and they were trying to come up with the money to help her leave and escape. Ruth never forgot Amina. I mean, to me, that's kind of special. Like, she never let go of, of wanting to try to see justice served. I mean, she felt a connection to Amina. It's sad because, you know, we'll never know what would have happened. Would, have Amin, would Amina and her and Ruth Trotter's son have gotten married? Would they have had children by now? It's just... There's so many like could have beens and should have beens and just needless. It, this is needless death. These girls didn't deserve what happened to them at all. Yasser Saeed's 32-year-old son Islam and 59-year-old brother Yasin are both charged with concealing a person from arrest. Saeed himself is charged with two counts of capital murder. He could face the death penalty if convicted. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. All right, I'm back with Spencer Brudig and Reed Redman. Guys, a lot to this story. Obviously, uh, you know, an amazing sort of saga that they finally caught up with this guy. is on the most wanted list for years and years. And, uh, you know, they were certainly celebrating the fact, understandably, that they caught up with someone who did such an atrocious thing. 
Yeah, for some reason, I've always assumed, I don't know a lot about the FBI's most wanted list, and I've always assumed that it's pretty rare for someone on that fugitive list to actually be caught and brought to justice. But I looked it up, and according to the FBI, at least, as of the end of August, there have been 523 fugitives on that list, and 499 have been located, which is Quite a lot. Pretty good track record. I mean, that's, I, I would I would hope so. I mean, when you're applying that much pressure and you're essentially putting, a, be on the lookout for every major uh, law enforcement agency around the country, if not, you know, including allied countries, I would hope that the, the catch rate would be very high. Uh, and, and this was definitely one of them. Yeah, I mean, it, it did make me think about that idea of the most wanted list and who gets on, who doesn't. Um, this guy did, you know, something that none of us could imagine. I mean, killing his own daughters. But why does he get on this list as opposed to somebody else who maybe did something as bad? There is the element that he had ties to Egypt, and so he was maybe traveling internationally, and I think that added to it. But we could probably do a whole episode on on the most wanted list. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting you mentioned those ties to Egypt and how they thought he might be traveling, but then of course they end up finding him like thirty miles. I think you, you said from where the crime originally took place. Do we know if he stayed in that entire area of North Texas for the 10, 13 years he was on the run? Reed, I'm really hoping that comes out uh, during the trial or in years to come. And as the story, uh, I think, unfolds, as far as we know, we, you know, we don't know. He uh, he could have stayed there the whole time. There was talk about New York and, you know, continuing to maybe drive a cab. But I think a lot of it's just guesswork at this point. We've had a couple of of cases, even in the last couple of months, where people have disappeared for long, ex, you know, uh, periods of time. Yeah. At at first glance, it's like, how does someone disappear for that long? And then it starts kind of making more sense when you realize that, you know, allegedly his own brother and his son were the ones that were um, aiding and abetting him. Uh, it, it makes a little bit more sense. But man, I mean, to to disappear for twelve years—that is no small feat. Now, Will, there was a, a story about. Yasser's son, Islam, up at the Canadian border some days after that initial raiding of that apartment where they thought someone may have been living and escaped. Uh, can you tell us more about that story? Yeah, we mentioned it briefly. And to be honest, what I what I know about it is what I, you know, we learned from the press release when they finally caught him. But a Apparently, a few days after that raid, a thousand miles away, his son Islam is found at the U.S.-Canada border. Basically, there was a secondary screening for his vehicle at the border, and the driver of the car told agents at the border that he and Islam, that's Yasser Said's son, had decided to take a, quote, crazy road trip. Uh, however, a search of his phone, this is according to the press release, revealed he told his employer he had a, quote, family emergency. So, you know, who knows what he was doing at the border, if that story holds water, if that was, you know, we don't know exactly. There's, they do give a name for the driver of the car. Apparently wasn't Yasser Saeed's brother, but just another sort of crazy tentacle to this story. So, well, one of the other names in this case is Patricia Owens, who was married to Yasser Saeed for uh, 25 years or so, um, reportedly since she was just 15 years old. Do we know what's what's happened to her? Yeah, that's right. I don't know if we mentioned the fact that, you know, she was married to him at a, at a young age. You know, Rebecca Lopez and Tanya Iser, I think, over the years reporting on this story spoke with her. Um, but for the most part, she has stayed, understandably, out of the public eye, hasn't, you know, spoken 
uh, to to the public about, uh, or, or news media very much at all, as far as I know. So I, you know, I don't know where she is today, um, but it was obviously uh, uh, such a traumatic uh, event, and you know, people questioned why she came back with her children, but you know, she was ensnared in in, in a relationship and a marriage, and we just don't know anything about that decision. Yeah, I mean, it really is an awful story, um, and and that. 911 call in particular is is uh really chilling the fact that she says you know I'm dying that's what's up uh that got me it's it's awful yeah that 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 call is just brutal all right uh, I know next week uh Reed and Spencer were working on some cases that actually uh there have been some major developments on ones we've reported on in the past so we'll we'll cover those next week in the meantime Spencer where can people go to talk more about the cases that we cover here on True Crime Chronicles. We have a Facebook group called Inside the Crime Vault where uh, you can discuss this case and other cases and other true crime podcasts uh, like True Crime Chronicles with 5,000 other people. Um, It's a pretty uh, great group and we have uh, daily questions and discussions. We'd love to see you in there. And Reed, we actually have a new podcast uh, that just came out uh, this week. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, yeah, we're uh, we're pretty excited about it. It's called Anything You Say. The first episode is available now. The next one will be out in just two days from the day of this release on Wednesday. Uh, each episode of this series is going to look at a different police interrogation, and we're bringing in uh, experts to talk about what's going on in those rooms. All right, I'm Will Johnson for True Crime Chronicles, along with Spencer Brudig and Reed Redman. We will be back next week with a new case and a new story.